kind of uh, do a dictionary search on the word effective. I looked it up earlier, but I don't remember it. And I kind of do, but, you know, does anybody? Let's see who's going to win. Successful in producing a desired or intended result. Huh? Successful in producing an intended or desired result. So that means you're effective. It's like if if um, if I want to do something, uh, I want it to be effective. Otherwise, if it doesn't achieve the desired result, then uh, it was kind of like kind of like a waste, wasn't it? I had a good intention, but it didn't happen. So when I want to be effective. Can anybody think of any, for instances, like something you may want to do that you want to be effective, and how can you tell if it actually is effective? By the result. So think of something. Being a good father. Being a good father. Yeah. I want to be a good father. And so in time, I'll find out if my desire caused me to behave with my children in such a way that effectively I was a good father. Meaning I actually, I had the desire, but I actually did it. I became a good father. And that's, a, that's perfect, you know. Uh, I mean, we can... We can go on and on with that, you know. Being a good friend. I want to be a good friend. Being a good guru. Being a good, guru. Being a good disciple. Yes. Oh. So, what was that? Is that Paul's number? Phone's going at the same time. Being with Kamal Krishna Maharaj, when something didn't happen perfectly, sometimes he would say, You didn't see that coming, did you, Jeevananda? Because, you know, a lot of times I was able to make things happen without a, a glitch. But whenever there was a glitch, he'd say, Ah, you didn't see that one coming, did you? You didn't calculate for that. Like, nah, 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 nah. Keep you on your toes. I was good at keeping on my toes. He kept me on my toes so much I felt like I was a ballerina. <laughs> so, <clears throat> now this is true no matter what it is. We want to be a, a good employee, a good employer, a good friend, uh, or if we want to be uh, loving. So love should be effective as well. So oftentimes we see in the material world, since love is so misunderstood, that people aren't effective in their loving propensity or their desire. Does that make any sense? Or do you disagree? I mean, so many billions of times, probably today, <laughs> those three words were said, I love you. And it wasn't effective. There really wasn't 
uh, a loving exchange. So, why do you think that is? Anybody? Anybody have any? Are the words I love you unaffected? Yeah. They didn't mean them. They don't know what the words actually mean. They were conditional? No. They were conditional, yeah. It's, it's like that is like at the beginning of a sentence. I love you. Caveat. You know, if you do what I want you to do, if you make me feel the way I want you to make me feel, if, you see, because it's, uh, there's strings attached. You see, I love you, dot, dot, dot. And the presentation. Right, yeah. And so these things are not uh, always, uh, these things are rarely stated. It's just left for you to assume. Just that, you know, there's so many, this word love in the English language, there's only that one word, you know, I love you. So, you know, I can say, well, you know, I love, I love what you've done with your hair. You know, I love the way you play the drum. I love that blouse. I love your shoes. Don't you love this weather? You see? So then I say, I love you. So now I've just linked you in with all that other stuff that I love. So it's up to you to figure out, well, does he love me subconsciously as much as the weather or my shoes or... So I'm leaving you to it to, in your own head. You decide what, it, what, what I mean. Therein is the difficulty in loving uh, material, loving in, uh, arrangements. Um, because, uh, as you said, Govinda uh, Mata, People don't really know. They don't really know how to fully love. No, they do, but it's covered over. We all do. So the living entity, you, the spirit soul, knows perfectly well how to love. You are immensely expert at it. You, uh, it's the nature of you as part and parcel of Krishna to be so effective in your love. You see, that is your function. It is your reason for existence. You can, you are so effective in your uh, attempts to love Krishna that you charm him and give him great pleasure. So this is the source of pleasure that you are empowered to give pleasure to. So you are totally completely effective but we don't know ourselves we're a little covered over you see we're affected by the material energy you know probably hear me so, say that so much I'm sure many of you get sick and tired of hearing me say that you know avoid the material energy you have to avoid it because it takes you away from who you are and what is your mission See, the living entity, the spirit soul, has a dharmic mission. It is your dharma to have a loving exchange with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. That is your purpose, dharma. Uh, the, the dharma of water is to be wet. 
You can't change that. Some people have said that and they say, well, what if you freeze it? Well, it's not water, now it's ice. And the dharma of ice is to be cold. You see? So there are certain things, dharma, that the, 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 the part of uh, something that cannot be changed. And you, the living entity, you cannot change your dharma. And that dharma is to be a, a loving associate of the Supreme Lord. You are empowered to give him uh, love, the source of love. You can make him feel uh, incredibly loved, you see. So why can't we do that here and now? Because you don't know who you are and you're affected by the material energy, maya, illusion. This material world keeps pounding on you of things that you really are not, things that are, are not true, some of them are not even close to being true. But some of some things that uh, uh, the material energy throws at you are partial truths. You know, you ever, you've heard that term, half-truth, yeah. half-truth. So, the half-truth is still why. Well, how do I know which half that you told me was, was the, the, the true half? see what I mean? So we're all about truth. We're all about fact, you see. So I know I, I, I irritate people when I talk because I don't get into these gray areas of it could be, or no, no, I want to know what it is. I don't, um, I don't like uh, speculumptions. <laughs> or uh, what's the other one? Assumptulations, speculations, and assumptulations. I don't like those. You see, I think it's a great disservice for me to speculate. Unless I say, gee whiz, Robert, I don't know the answer to that. But no, I'm speculating here. But I think there's a chance that this could be right. You see what I mean? Rather than me say, well, it's this. People do that a lot. Well, it's this. And they're not telling you. Now, I don't know for sure. Of course, if you read it on the internet, it's probably true, right? Yeah. Well, positively. No such thing as fake news. Yeah. So I always appreciate when people um, will say, you know, I don't know. I don't know the absolute fact of that. Uh, if you ask me, I, I could only speculate that it might be this. Based on this, evidence. And I'm not even sure that that's, you see what I mean? I like that kind of conversation with people, but when people just shoot something right out there and they thinking, you don't know. You know? <laughs> but so that half truth is enough for you. You see, I've got a recipe for half truth. I'll put it on my Facebook page. I think you'll find it. You got it? You know, yeah. <laughs> I think it's funny. You may not think it's funny. But. So, uh, let's talk about uh, this. And stop with any questions or comments at any time. So, questions, you can pass out some pencils and paper. Yeah. 
I could, I could tell by that look that you just had this look when you looked at him. Like you better, you better get over there and get me. They've been together long enough; they can communicate. Yeah, see if you can. Find Honestly, it. it might be harder to find. I can try. So, questions? Oh, I, found, I found it. Oh, you found it? Yeah. Read it off. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> this is um, Guru Dave's recipe for half truth. <clears throat> when the whole truth, when the whole truth won't help you with your agenda, and an absolute lie might expose your hidden motives, try serving up the best substitute, the famous half truth. Here's a great recipe for half-truth that will fool many of your friends and acquaintances into thinking it's the real thing. This delightful half-truth can be served in conversations, emails, Facebook posts, tweets, internet chat rooms, or anywhere you need to convince people that you're a knowledgeable straight shooter who is looking out for their benefit while actually attempting to spread your own agenda. Ingredients for the perfect half-truth. One small part truth Carefully removed from its context. Note, before proceeding, carefully squeeze out as much fact as possible, leaving only enough to act as a base for your half-truth. One large dollop of free-range delusion. A dash or two of all-natural deceit. A pinch, a pinch of imitation compassion. The real thing will spoil your half-truth. Add as much homegrown self-interest as you can without it being detected. One bunch of organic lies, substitute speculation, gossip, hearsay, or pure fabrication if needed. Mix thoroughly and drizzle with as much extra virgin exaggeration as needed to achieve desired appearance and consistency. Half-bake for as long as it takes, sprinkle generously with fairy tale dust, and serve it as the whole truth to anyone who will swallow it. Bon appetit. <laughs>
It's a good thing these are confidential. Uh, so yeah, what do you think is lovable about you? And three, what do you find is the most lovable feature about other people? What is it about other people that you encounter that is top of the list of things that you find lovable? Let us do another one. What do you find is the least lovable trait that you find in other people? Okay. You can get like half the board with the answer on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the So tiny that I can't work. What was the second question again, Cruiser? Oh boy. Oh my God. What makes you lovable? Yeah. What makes you lovable? What do you think is is lovable about you? Yeah. But if there are certain things that you find lovable about yourself or other people, wouldn't that be conditional and therefore tainted? Oh, uh, could be. Could be, but not necessarily. Who are these nice young ladies? They're two of my daughters. Wow, how many daughters do you have? Three. Yeah, I have, I have three daughters too. What are your names? Huh? Mia and Ava? Nice to meet you. Thank you for coming. Your dad's a really nice guy, you know that? Later on, they'll thank you for it. All three of mine did. And so did my son. I have three daughters and a son. So, all right, got everything, everything done? So, loving effectively. So when we love, if, we're, if it's worth loving somebody, if it's worth loving at all, we want an effect, right? We want some effect. What effect? You don't have to write this down, anybody. What effect do I want if I direct my love to someone? Let's say Krishna. If I direct my love to Krishna, what effect? I want to love effectively, right? So what do you think I'm trying to, what effect? No, we're just going to, yeah. What do you think? Reciprocation. Okay. Anybody else? Affection. Affection. Or maybe those are both good, but maybe just a little layer above that is I want him to be pleased. I want him to feel it. So when I love somebody, I want them to feel it. You know, otherwise I'm just saying, you know, like, okay, I love you. You know, that's not very convincing. So that doesn't mean that I have to go, oh, way overboard oh god i love you so 
for it not to be phony and it not to be understated, I actually have to feel it, don't I? Otherwise, it seems like it's just a plastic thing, you know. So I actually have to feel it. So is that asking a lot? What do you think, Oberlin Romano? So what do you write in your memoirs here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ask more questions. <laughs> I'm the guru. I have a right to pick. So, see that question? I forgot what was it. What did I just ask? Say you wanted them to feel it to know it. Huh? Say you wanted them to feel it to know it. I thought it was about Krishna. Yeah. I have to feel it. If I direct my love to you or Krishna or anyone, I actually have to feel it. Huh? I want them to know that I love them. That's what I want. I'm not really looking for any feedback or any, you know, I don't, it, it's kind of, it's inconvenient if I say, Elijah, I love you. And then I'm looking at my clock thinking, okay, I'm waiting. It's your turn. The ball's in your court now. You got to do, you got to hit one my direction. Well, that's phony. You know, that's material. You know, the living entity, if my purpose for existence is to love, Period. Exclamation point. That's it. So then, uh, where does it say in your contract as a as a soul? You know, Krishna has a contract with you. Fine print. Where does it say that that's what you should be looking for to be loved? Think about that. So it's human to want to be loved. But it's not the nature of the jiva, the realized soul. Why? It's like if you're taking and trying to take a drink out of a fire hydrant, you know, and the water is like gushing and hitting you with intense pressure. You're trying to take a drink and it's hitting you. That's that's like you saying, I I want it to rain. I, I want more water. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Because you are inundated by the Supreme Lord constantly with uh, love constantly. Supreme love from the Supreme Lover. He is immersing you in this ocean of love. Now, the only reason that I can't realize that is because I can't realize who I am. And I can't realize my, my relationship with God. In other words, I've lost complete track of reality. I'm in illusion. It's illusory to think. It's, it's human. That means you have to think you are human. But it's, it's illusory to think that I'm unloved. You've never been unloved. It's not possible for you to be unloved. There is nothing you could possibly do to lose Krishna's love. But you can lose your consciousness of Krishna and who you are 
and be in a world of illusion and feel unloved. You see? No, that's nothing. I'm not saying there's something wrong with you. I'm saying you just lost your way. So this Krishna consciousness is just that. We're trying to help you regain your consciousness of Krishna. Along with that comes your relationship, your eternal relationship with him. You're an eternal lover, reciprocal lover of Krishna. Krishna loves you so much that you always feel, I don't deserve to be loved this much. You see, this is the nature of true love. The one that's loving, the one that's receiving the love thinks, how could you love me so much? I don't deserve this much love. And the other one's thinking, but but you love me so much, I don't deserve your love. You see what I mean? This is the intensity of, of uh, transcendental love, spiritual love, if you will. The nature of the living entity in exchanging love with Krishna. Krishna said to the gopis, his closest associates, because of your love for me, I can, I can never repay you. Now this is God saying this. Because you have loved me to such a degree and continue to do so, I am in your debt eternally. I cannot, there is no way that I can repay you for your loving devotional service. Now this is pretty heavy when God's saying it, right? So Krishna said, I just beg that you be satisfied with the loving service in and of itself. Because I can't repay what you've given me, you see. In other words, I'm in your debt. You're, I'm like an indentured servant of yours. So, you see how the, the identities change between God and the living entity when you add transcendental love up until there is this manifestation of transcendental love, then God is the guy that writes the rules. I got to follow them or else endure the wrath. See what I mean? And that's bona fide. That's bona fide. But if you get closer to this God entity and you reestablish your lost relationship with him, then this changes. Now Krishna says, you own me. I'm yours. I can't love you to the degree. I can't repay you. I'm, I'm, your, I'm in your debt. I'm like your indentured servant. So this is the nature of transcendental love. It enslaves the two lovers with each other. Does that make any sense? It's a little deep. You might need to ponder that, you know. But yeah, because of your love for me, I feel that I can't, you know, I'm so gratified from your love. I don't think I can ever return. So, but for eternity, I will try. And the other one is thinking the same thing. You see? Yeah. So, 
the one who is able to love Krishna so effectively, is that all of us untarnished by material existence, or is that one who is seeking Krishna consciousness? Every living entity seeking Krishna consciousness or not has this ability. It is your nature. It is what you are. You're already equipped with it. Uh, it's just that when you seek Krishna consciousness, that means when I start to seek a relationship with Krishna, um, then we kind of start getting on the right track. You see what I mean? And we start to not only learn about God, but you learn about yourself. You see? Which is like... We really do need to know more about ourselves. We need to know more about God. But I need to know about me as much as I need to know about him so that I can have my identity to reciprocate with him properly and, and exchange this, this love. So, but somebody's probably thinking, that's a pretty tall order. To learn all this, I mean, come on, we're living in a world where love doesn't really mean anything. People say it, but they, don't, they may not mean it because they don't really know what it means. What is, and a lot of people can't even imagine this level of love that can exist between the living entity and the supreme lover, Krishna. Can't even imagine. We can kind of imagine it. We feel like, wow, some people feel, oh, I think I'll ever understand that. Thank you, Norway. Good to see you. So, did you have a question? I know. You have your Oh, okay. So, uh, and it is a pretty tall order when you when we're completely in illusion. We think we are these bodies. We think that I am part of this world. I don't know who God is. I'm not even so sure there is a God. You see? And if there is, I don't know what he wants from me. Maybe I feel more comfortable thinking that, yeah, there is a God, but it doesn't have any personality, so it can't really ask me to do anything. You know, maybe it's just the universe. You know? Maybe God is love. We've all heard that. You know, these are half truths. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's so much more to God than just love. As far as what He is, no, He's the source of love, but He's the source of everything. So, does it sound likely that we can come to this? platform of understanding uh, on our own or even how is it even possible or do we just speculate about it so let me read a little bit from Krishna there's a, a three verses here that I really really like and so 10th uh, tenth cap 10th uh, tenth chapter 8th verse Krishna says I am the source of all spiritual and material worlds. Everything emanates from me. The wise who, uh, who perfectly know, excuse me, 
the wise who perfectly know this engage in my devotional service and worship me with all their hearts. Well, how can I worship Krishna with all my heart? You see, is he kind of giving me like half of the situation? I mean, if I'm in illusion, and if I don't fully even understand what love is, okay, I'm not 100% convinced that I'm not my body. Well, how can I do that with all my heart? You know, why is Krishna asking me to do that? It doesn't sound fair, does it? What kind of God is this guy anyway? Is there a council we can complain to, the God council, and complain about our God? File a complaint. In the very next verse, 10.9, Krishna says, The thoughts of my pure devotees dwell in me. Their lives are fully devoted to my service, and they derive great satisfaction and bliss from always enlightening one another and conversing about me. He's really full of himself, isn't he? Well, they're talking about me. You see, that makes them happy. So he's giving it away. He's unraveling this, the answer to this secret. Uh, the thoughts of my pure devotees dwell in me. My devotees are thinking about me because they found me attractive. A little bit. They found some attraction, you see. And then uh, their lives are fully devoted to my service. They're fully devoted to doing some service. Because I have some attraction, I'm starting to feel some love, you see. I want to make some offering. When you love somebody, you want to do some service. I want to serve you. I want to do something for you if I, if I love you. Even if I like you, I might want to do something for you. I want to show my like, but to speak of showing my love, you see. So this is normal. Krishna says, uh, and they derive great satisfaction and bliss from always enlightening one another and conversing about me. You see, so great enlightenment, my enlightenment. I'm starting to wake up. I'm starting to understand from conversing with the pure devotees. You see, uh, we're enlightening one another and conversing about Krishna, the supreme uh, lovable entity. So now Krishna's going to give us a big answer. In the 10th verse, 10th chapter, 10th verse, Krishna says, to those who are constantly devoted to serving me with love, I give the understanding by which they can come to me. So, yeah, I can't do it. I can't. This is for me to go from my constant, uh, um, from my, uh, level of consciousness that I'm at right now, my current level of consciousness, to this pure love of Godhead, I need kind of a shot in the arm. So Krishna says, I'll do it. I give you the understanding by which you can come to me. you got to want it really bad. Because he's not going to just hand it out. You know, like when, when a 
manufacturer comes out with something new. I remember uh, back in the 80s, I was going to a mall someplace and they had these real pretty girls dressed in very little. And they were in the mall and they were handing out cigarettes. They had little small, tiny mini packs of cigarettes. And it was a new brand that somebody was coming out with. So they're like, here, would you like to try? You see? So it's kind of like, here, got a new brand of cigarettes. Here, please take them and whatever. So Krishna was not like that. I wasn't uh, a smoker. I didn't want cigarettes. But they're trying to give me the cigarettes. So Krishna is not offering you something so cheap. No, he's offering you uh, fully, full understanding full understanding by which you can come to him. He's saying, here, but you've got to want it. You see, you've got to be looking for it, seeking it. So, how do you think that will manifest? What does Krishna say? He gave us a hint in the previous verse. The thoughts of my pure devotees dwell in me. Whoa. And their lives are fully devoted to me. Wait a minute, that's what I want. I want to be fully devoted to Krishna. So I need to find some of these people that are devoted to Krishna. You see? Because he's enlightened them from within. They have the secret. They've got this thing figured out. So I need their association. You see what I mean? Now, some people think, well, no, God will just hit you with a magic wand and you're ding, you're totally realized. See? I want God, but I don't want his people. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> you're, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get Krishna. You see? The thoughts of my pure devotees dwell in me. I'm thinking about them all the time. Why? Because they're demonstrating their love for me constantly. They're on my mind. And I'm on their mind. These are symptoms of some pretty deep love here, you see. So you need to seek out these people, these devotees. If pure love of Godhead is what you're seeking, if you want this loving relationship with God, not everybody does. Some people are okay with a realization of God that keeps him arm's length or even further away. It doesn't mean that that isn't bona fide. God may be just your order supplier as far as you're concerned, and that's all you want. That's all you ask for. And you're satisfied, for now anyway, with that relationship. My dear Lord, I'll pray to you. I'll follow some rules. And you give me some good stuff. You know, give me daily bread, start with daily bread. Give me health, a pretty spouse. A little bit of wealth wouldn't hurt, you know. Now this is pious. Some people think I'm making fun of it when I say, no, this is, these are the actions of a pious person. They go to God and they say, please give me. What are the what are the four kinds of pious individuals that approach Krishna, according to Krishna? Does anybody know? 
The distressed. The distressed. That's one of them. If you're distressed and you just say, oh my dear God, I don't have anywhere to turn but you. Please tell me. Krishna says that's very pious. When you're seeking when it's seeking the absolute truth, Krishna says that's the most pious. My God, I want you. I want to know about you. Huh? Yeah, actually, there's, uh, let's see, I have to go. Curious. Curious. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious. Hey, what's this all about? What's this God thing about? Huh? Yeah, and there's the one who just out and out says, Hey, God, I want money. That doesn't sound very loving, but Krishna says that's pious. You go to God and say, Hey, look, I'll do a little something for you, but hey, now that I got your attention, give me some money. I want money. I don't want just enough to make ends meet. I want a lot of money. So Krishna says that's pious. Although the most pious of those four uh, is the one who's actually looking for God. You see? But that just because those are pious doesn't mean they're on that top level of sharing uh, uh, uninterrupted love with God. You see? You gotta kind of at first you don't even know that's available. You don't know it's on the menu. Most people don't know it's on the menu. So why would I order it if it's not on the menu? I didn't know I could have that. You know? So the devotees of Krishna, we need to tell people, hey, this isn't an option. This is a possibility. You see? So if you seek out those who, uh, who are on my mind, because I am on their mind, and they're always feeling bliss from enlivening, enlightening one another with talks about me through them I will enlighten you and I'll give the understanding some people think but I'm so darn special I don't need anybody else God will just do it directly with me and that's not going to work for you you know that's like me saying to Robert you know, I really like you. I don't really like your kids. <laughs> you see what I mean? That's not going to make any points, is it? No, they're part of me. So. Exactly. He didn't really care. He likes no, I like them. <laughs> I like them a lot. They're cute. They remind me every time I see uh, every time I see young girls, they remind me of my daughters. And they don't have to be really young because my oldest daughter is 50 years old, so. How many children do you have? Four. Four? Yeah. So they don't have to be very young for me to see them as my daughters. But you see my point. So I can go to Krishna and say, you know, Krishna, I just want to deal with you. I want to deal with you. Go the bottom. You know, it's Michelle. What do I care what's her opinion? Why don't you just enlighten me from within, okay? So what are you going to do when you go back to Godhead? 
and there's all these innumerable close loving associates with Krishna, you're going to say, hey, Krishna, didn't you do something with all these people? And just, just maybe me and you, you know. And so that doesn't sound very loving, does it? No, because we've lost our propensity to love on an absolute level, you see. So we want to associate with those who are loving Krishna, and we want to associate to certain levels anyway with those who don't love Krishna. Yeah. Can't that be transcendental though? Like you just want Krishna for yourself? Because there isn't there, there's a little bit of competition. Exactly. All the, gopis. the gopis are always wanting to get along with Krishna. But they're not wanting to eliminate and and dislike the others. You see what I mean? They still once your love, your loving propensity is awakened to the to the level that you a soul can love then you can't just aim it at any one thing. It it's becomes like a shotgun. It hits everybody, you know. You feel that way. All living entities, not just uh, human beings. So, uh, uh, I don't feel like that's the mood of people who say things like that, or who think that, you know what I mean? Like, if that was their mood, I can understand. But most of the time, I feel like someone who feels like I can go directly to God to get answers, a lot of the times, they don't believe that anyone else has an answer, and they might just want to believe their own speculation, because it's self-serving. So it's not so much motivated by this desire to want to love, as it is to get my way. Right. And I've been cheated before. Right. I've had people... Tell me things. My guard is up. My guard is up because right. I've had people tell me things, and I, later on I found out they were wrong, and I'm not going there again. So, yeah, you can feel that way. Understandable why you feel that way. Understandable. This material world is a place of the cheaters and the cheated, and those roles switch back and forth. But what if they stay there? Huh? But what if they just? What if they just use that as a crutch to stay there and never grow out of that situation? Little by little, they will grow out of it. Yeah. Ultimately, they will. Because they started out with a pious desire. I want God. And then, if I really want God, God is going to give me some association of other people who want him. And maybe other people who want him even more than I do. And I will find that attractive. You see what I mean? Because you're different than the people who speculate and abuse me. So now there's something godly about you because you're devoted. Constantly worship God in love. Constant devotion and service. While you're always talking about it. So you're different than the rest. So give them time, and they'll come around. All right, can I collect? I better collect everybody's. Sometimes I, I forget. So here we are. It's almost 8 o'clock, and I'm forgetting. Eventually, they'll start getting Right. And then we'll seek it out. Right. Because it's just who we are. 
They want loving exchange, and they're, it's, it's hard to get it. One of the propensities that a devotee has is they have a tendency to want to share love, not just with God, but with everyone. All yeah, yeah. One of you, please. Can we just start now? Yeah. And then we'll try to figure out who No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> wouldn't that be mean? <laughs> yeah, it would be fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> but mean. <laughs> I'm trying to give you a very sweet job. Maybe it's a continuation of something. I don't get it. Do you get it? No. I already have a sweet job. But, you know. I'm trying to give you a very sweet job. I think it might be connected to some other one. Maybe, maybe a sweet jab. Oh, no, that's a no. <laughs> I love it. Because I, I didn't have any answer to your questions because oh. I spend a lot of time up in my head and tonight I was not there. And so I didn't have answers to your question. But I did have an experience. Of, um, I just received a job and I, I took it. And, and, I, and I've been doubting it. It makes sense. The only thing I had. Thank you for the and concept. I didn't know you were going to collect them. I like to spend a lot of time uh, in my own mind when I want to be alone. But it's awful empty and echoey in there. So. It's like being in a cave, you know, echo, echo, echo. Excellent. Find others' uh, service attitude, that's what they wrote, and unique personalities in love of God, very lovable. Hmm. Find others' service attitude. Yeah, when somebody has a good service attitude. Uh, in other words, if you are offering loving devotional service to my beloved, I find my love for you growing. You see what I mean? What else? Okay. Next one. Yes, I do, but I'm not always aware of it. First question. Number two, I care deeply for others' feelings. Number three, selflessness. Uh, selflessness is attractive. Yeah, okay. I don't think any of them answer number four, which is fine. That's okay. Is number three questions how what you don't like in yourself or Number two was. Does anybody remember? I should have found words. What's attractive about you? What do you think is attractive about you? What's not attractive about you? Yeah. Thank you, Elijah. Okay. 
Number one, this person put yes. Number two, what makes you lovable? Only sincere desire to serve Krishna and others. Or my sincere desire to serve Krishna and others. Three, most lovable, compassion, devotion, sincerity, and truthfulness. Four, least lovable, fault-finding, self-absorbed, sense of entitlement, lack of compassion and empathy, and being greedy. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Read those again. Least lovable, fault-finding, self-finding. Fault-finding, right? I don't know about any of you, but I, that really, that, that's like putting sand in my mashed potatoes. You know, I don't like when people are fault-finders. I mean, we live in a world of fault-finders and finger-pointers. You know, if you just try to get some news, they don't have news anymore, do they? I remember when Walter, you remember Walter Cronkite? You know, remember it was, these guys, you could go in and find out the news. And it was never, well, and then you go to another channel, and well, 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 you know. Intense hatred and fault finding. It just, I feel like somebody's, uh, like there's this tremendous weight on my chest. I feel my chest tightening up and it's hard to, to breathe, I mean, I, I've got to get away from this. So, okay, there is no news. Okay, so there's, uh, you know, it makes you want to see something like a, a wreck on the highway, news about something, just give me some news. You know, I just, from time to time, Prabhupada would read the newspaper to see what's going on in the world. It's hard to find out what's going on in the world nowadays. It's just people that, that are hating each other publicly, you know, so fault finders. God, they're unlovable, unlikable people. What's the like about somebody who's, you know, um, I said something to this lady a couple, a couple of weeks ago, and something about it being a, it's, it's, it's evening in Arizona, and it's, you know, the sun goes down, and it, it, it gets kind of nice here, you know, when the, it's like 108, 106 during the daytime. Sun goes down, there's almost always a nice breeze, and it feels kind of comfortable to me, you know, late in the evening. And I said something about this, and, well, you know, things aren't as good as you think. <laughs> you know, I said, well, you know, it's better than being dead. Well... I'm going to keep myself living as long as I as long as I possibly can. And I'm thinking, wow, what an attitude. She said, "This planet needs us." <laughs> oh God, here we go. We're the ones destroying this planet. This planet will thrive without us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Analyze that. This planet needs you. Boy, you're really thinking a lot of yourself. No, I told her. I, I disagree. We need this planet. If we weren't here, the planet wouldn't miss us. If it wasn't here, we'd really miss it. You know, of course we wouldn't. So, but so many wonderful things, you know, to think about. I, I just can't go there. So right, fault finding immediately. Oh, this and that. And, Blah blah blah. And 
I said, okay, okay well, hold it, hold it, you know, let me ponder. You've given me a lot to think about, you know, more than I can think about right now. So I don't want, I don't want to go there. Because I always like to tell people that if you're chanting Hare Krishna, your future is so bright that you should buy some shades. You're going to need them. I mean, this isn't a speculation. I mean, I've seen this for five decades. You know, you start chanting Hare Krishna and associating with Krishna's devotees, performing loving devotional service, and your life is going to light up. I know that to be a fact. I'm not assuming or speculating. I know it. I've never seen it not work. And I've seen some people that it worked and they thought, some people go away and stop practicing Krishna consciousness because they think, now that I understand how the world works, well, now I can go enjoy it. Thank you for enlightening me. Tell me how, you know, now that I understand what's going on here. So they, they go away and they usually come back a few years later after they've been beat up again by the material energy, you know, and they become typically really good devotees after that, you know, because I thought I could just go, now that I have purified senses, now I can enjoy with them on a higher level. That's not uncommon. So then you go back and you get a big kick from the material energy again, and then you realize I was wrong. <laughs> so, all right. What else? Uh, yes, I am number one. Number two, I am accepting of people, plus I see their strengths. Three, I find people who are present to be lovable. They seem receptive to love. Four, unlovable. Behaviors are unlovable. All people are lovable. See, that's... That's a strong point. No one is unlovable. It's the behavior that some people have that makes you think you're hard to be with. You know, I, I know there's this, there's this beautiful soul there, but because of your behavior, it's kind of hard to approach you and get close to you. I don't want to stand here or sit here and listen to you rail against everything that you see that's wrong with everything. I mean, after all, for crying out loud, we're in America. <laughs> it, it doesn't get... You've been international, have you, Chad? It doesn't get any better than this, does it? I mean, it may... We could still say, well, this is wrong. Well, I don't know. This is a pretty good place. So I could say, well, everything is wrong. Of course, it could be worse. I'd like to see the government change this and this and that, whatever. And we need a new leader, or we need a whole bunch of new leaders, or whatever, you see. If you can say that in somewhat of a loving way, you know, for the benefit of all we need. But they can't say it without hate. They can't do it. So, unless you're talking to someone who has lack of love, which is, you know, this, this hateful drive, that's not going to be appealing. If you find somebody that's got hate and envy in their heart, 
oh man, it's just like you start talking that to them, and it's like you're singing their tune. You know, they'll salute it. It's like I salute that flag. You know, you hate? Hey, so do I. How many things do you hate? Let's go through the things we hate. Why? We might be friends. You see. <laughs> So anyway, that's the current situation of, uh, of the world. It's worse here. It's worse in America. Other countries that I go to, it's not as bad. People don't just sit around and hate the other, you know. There's different political parties in other parts of the world, but they don't, they don't try to stir up the hate as much. Until it's time to vote, then they may be out there. There's some. There's some. But nowhere like it is here. I mean, the Americans are kind of embarrassing. You know? <laughs> the place that's got the least to complain about does the most squawking. You know? You know so. All right. What else? I am loved enough when I become cognizant of God's love. My most lovable trait is my honesty and integrity. I think the most lovable trait in others is someone's willingness to listen. That's important, isn't it? Very important. Very important. I mean, it goes, that's a very deep uh, understanding because typically when you find somebody that'll listen, when you're a little disturbed and you really need to just get it off your chest, you find somebody that'll listen, they're really just waiting for you to take a breath so they can do theirs. It's like, all right, you know, I've been listening to you for five minutes. So now it's time for you to hear me. You ever notice that in people? It's like kind of like, uh, it's like playing tennis. It's in your court. Now hit it back, get it in my court. So they, they go back and forth like that. You know, all right, I've been listening to you. I've heard you air your problems. And now I, that reminds me of something that's wrong with me. Now some people may say, well, there's nothing wrong with that. So two needy people aren't really going to be able to do much to help each other, right? You need somebody who's not so needy. And they can fully listen to you. They're not going to hit it back. Yeah, and you know what's going on with me? You know, or try to trump you. You know, I'm going to, you did, I'm going to try to one up you. Well, let me tell you what's going on with me. Oh, so in other words, I just told you all these things that are going on wrong in my life, and now you're going to tell me the really important thing about what's going on with you. Well, I feel so much better. See? I hate to sound so critical, but this, these are the loving exchanges that we human beings have with each other when we're in illusion. First thing is, um, get yourself out of difficulty. You know, it's like when you're on an airplane and they tell you that in a case of, in a case of loss of cabin pressure and the masks come down, Put it on yourself first, then tend to the children or those that 
But first, get yourself situated. Then you can help people. So become a needy. It's really not so hard. I mean, we're all going to need water and air and food. Well, we all share that. But this Krishna consciousness will, it will take away the layers of the uh, conception of I need. I, I need, I'm emotionally needy. I'm not criticizing people that feel that way. But help us in, be, in becoming someone who isn't in that situation so you can become a shelter. The sweet taste of being a shelter. And you can hear all day, per person after person after person, without feeling, well, nobody listens to me. What's wrong, you know? What's wrong with you? I don't have any... I'm overloved as it is. Krishna loves me more than I can imagine. Life is going really sweet, you see. Yeah, that reminded me, remember David came up with me when he was here? As you were talking about shelter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That reminded me of what you were saying. It's like, who's saying, like, you need to have sheltering relationships, and then you can give sheltering relationships. It's like unless we take shelter, you, you cannot give shelter until you become a shelter. And to become a shelter, you have to accept shelter. You see, some people don't, uh, they're not in a hurry to let that go. I, this propensity to need, you see. Not because they're bad, because this is ingrained in us. You see, this is, uh, it's, it's habit. It becomes a sweeter habit to be a shelter, you see. And you're a shelter. People may say, all right, you know, I've been talking for an hour and a half about my problems. What's wrong in your life? I don't know, can't think of anything. You know. I'm in this body, and it's deteriorating, but I'm not really concerned about that, you know. Uh, well, what do you think about the such and such? I don't really think about that. Let's see. My guru gave me the confidence that everything is going to be fine. Everything is great. Gave me a relationship with the Supreme Godhead. I'm fine. Will I have to suffer between now and then? Probably, but I think it's going to be minimized. You know, I mean, we're in Arizona. It's like a hundred and something today, wasn't it? So I can guarantee you there's going to be some suffering between here and October, you know, when the, when the heat breaks. I can guarantee it. But it ain't such a big deal, is it? <laughs> See? We know it's coming. And we know that uh, it'll be over. It's going to end. Okay. Um, just really quick before we move on. I really like what this person wrote about. I think the most lovable trait in others is someone's willingness to listen. Yeah. And I think this is, this is connected with being a good shelter. 
because can you explain the difference between someone who is actually a shelter and that, that person's ability to listen to someone else as opposed to someone who may consider themselves a shelter but doesn't really understand but doesn't really know how to listen right what, what, how would you to listen I have to listen to my definition, the full definition. I have to be interested in what it is that you're trying to tell me. I'm trying to understand it. Rather than just letting you talk, gather some of it, give you a blunt or half answer, and then let you hear what I have to say that's plaguing me. You see what I mean? That's very common to me. But I. For me to be a listener, I have to be interested. Personal. 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 Personally interested. You see? Uh, it becomes the duty of a devotee to be interested in the other living entities. This is your dharma. This is your nature. You're interested in all living entities. What to speak of the supreme living entity, Krishna. But you're interested in all of the parts and parcels of Krishna. Their part, your part and parcel, and their part and parcel. You've got everything in common. You see, We're, we find these. If Krishna finds these people interesting, then who am I to not? Who am I to find fault with any of Krishna's parts and parcels? Regardless of what their behavior is, I can recognize their current behavior. I can recognize that and, and try to deal with them accordingly. You see? But that means if they misbehave badly, then maybe they need more of my love. You see? This is deep stuff. It is deep. It's a little different. It flies. Because it's not like, you know, I, I've been in situations where I confided in some in someone in that way? Have you ever felt like you were you, people weren't really listening to you? Oh yeah. Like they just kind of I mean they might give you the right they might give you the right advice, but it's like it's almost like it's cookie cut. You, does that make sense? Yeah. Like they didn't really listen to what you had to say. They really didn't understand your heart. Let me ask you something. What if you have been a counselor of other people? for years, decades. And so someone starts opening up their heart to you and you can immediately see where they're going. Yeah. Because you've heard this story before and you've already assessed it. Right, right, right. So what do you do? What's the proper loving thing to do? Stop them and say, I know where you're going. Or listen to them because you care. I know where you're going, but I want to hear how you're going to express this. I want to see what kind of feeling, therefore, what importance you're putting in this. It'll tell me a lot about you, and I find you extremely interesting. You may know, right, well, I know where you're going. I already know the solution, but I'm not going to tell you that. Well, that would be pretty rude. It's rude, you know. But I mean, it's just—it's practical for you to be able to figure these things out. But to have that loving relationship, let sometimes and psychologists do this. 
Sometimes you let them listen to themselves as they're talking. A lot of times they answer a lot of their own questions. It's like in marketing. You get the client to speak more than you speak rather than just drown them out with it's like if you're going to sell a, a, a house to somebody and it has an Olympic sized pool and you're beating them upside the head on this it's got this Olympic sized pool but you didn't find out they don't care they don't like water they don't like pools it means nothing to them see what I mean yeah so personal is you get them to talk. What are you looking for in a house? And then you zip it. And when they finish, you say, anything else? Okay, of those, which is most important? And why? The more you can get them to talk, the more you can help them. You see? Yeah, absolutely. That's good. No, that, I really love that answer. That's, I really like the concept. Yeah. Because it there's so many implications to you know what I mean? Some some serious implications to someone who's able to listen who has that ability to listen. Just says so much and, about and that wants to listen. And it wants to listen, yeah. yeah. I really like that. You want me to move on? Yeah. Okay. I I believe that these two here are part of another one that I answered earlier. Okay. And they're just written in separate papers, so I'll continue. Um this person wrote, I find my service to God lovable about myself. Mm. And then I am loved more than enough, but sometimes I can't perceive it generally, may perceive a tiny portion. So yeah, and that person, <coughs> they answered, what's lovable about others? Mm. That was nice. Um, this one, more. Uh, number one, more than I deserve. Number two, my joy and sincerity. Three, their liveliness. And four, don't appreciate high maintenance. Mm. Yes. Don't appreciate high maintenance. Yeah, some people are high maintenance. I mean, I can see how that's a good turn off. But I mean, sometimes we have to. It's like if you have a car that's high maintenance, you may have to break down and get it fixed. You have to give it more love. More you care. have to give it more attention, more love. More you know, care. It needs a tune up, maybe a rebuild. It needs some work. Yeah. Really. Yes, thinking that uh, Krishna was being nursed by Mother Yashoda, and uh, <coughs> she was in the stove. And then Krishna was screaming because she was trying to serve it in that way, but Krishna wanted it to go with her. So I think Krishna's a very high maintenance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> in a really lovable way. I <laughs> tried to do this for you, but. Yeah, I mean, that. I have to, to say nothing when he's stealing butter and getting all the neighbors all set, upset. You know, he's talking about high maintenance. We can see Krishna loves attention. But Krishna loves to give attention. 
That's the reciprocal nature. He loves that. He finds you extremely interesting. All living entities very interesting. There's no dull ones, you see. So we're all high maintenance when it comes to this uh, loving relationship. We all want his attention. All the gopis fight for his attention. You know, we want more and more. I think what's unlovable about someone who may come across as high maintenance is maybe the, the perception that we may have of that person thinking that they're better than others. And that they're trying to use you. Yeah. Because you may look and think, look, you don't really need this much attention in those things that you're putting on the table that you feel you need attention for. You just want the attention. You want to be the center of attention. That's just Maya. You see, those I might be all the be a of Krishna. I want to be the center of everybody's attention. So then, Maya is high maintenance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can be. Yeah. We all have our complications, don't we? Okay, we have one more. I think this is just the question that someone asked. Um, it says, How can one love purely? And that's it. Well, it would be easier for me to answer that with a question. Sometimes I hate it when people answer a question with another question. Uh, from the spiritual side, how can you not love purely? Because you don't know who you are or what you are. If you don't know God and you don't know you, then you don't know anything about your loving, eternal relationship. Loving relationship, you see. So then you can think, how can I possibly love purely? Well, because you you don't know who you are. You're convinced. See, when, along with me um, believing that I am this body, <clears throat> as soon as I do that, I accept the limitations of a body. The limitations of a body, right away I've limited my enjoyment to five senses. I've limited my understanding. I can find so many things to complain about, you know, because I've just sealed myself off. I am this body, so therefore I'm, I've isolated myself from the source of, of bliss and knowledge. I'm in ignorance because I believe I'm this body. So I feel very uncomfortable because there's so much I don't know. And I feel so needy. I feel so unloved. See what I, I just pushed myself away because I'm believing that I am this body. That's our biggest hurdle to overcome, that I am not this body. I can't let that bodily consciousness dominate my thoughts and my decisions. I have to refuse to make decisions based on bodily situations. If I'm an eternal spirit soul, I need to make decisions based on that fact. That's an eternal fact. The fact that I am in a body right now is a temporary situation. You know. The time will come 
when we'll have to leave these bodies. But we don't want to leave this body to take up another illusion, another body that I'm convinced that I am. Let's see. Yeah. So by chanting the Maha Mantra, does that facilitate that? It, it starts to wake you up. You start to pray to Krishna. Please engage me in your transcendental loving service. And you're also praying to Radharani. This Hare, that's Radha, Hara. You're pr praying to Radha, <clears throat> the energy of Krishna, <clears throat> and to Krishna. Please engage me in your loving devotional service. So I'm starting to ask for it. You know, I don't have loving devotional service to Krishna now, and I don't even know what to do. I don't know how to get it. I don't know what it is. I don't know what he wants. So I'll start to pray. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. And I'll continue to pray and pray, you see. And then Krishna starts giving. And then more and more. And as you are ready to accept it, he gives you more, you see. He gives you more of this. In other words, he elevates you to this level that he was talking about in the ninth verse. Those, that pure, those pure devotees who are always delighting in service to Krishna and always in bliss, talking about his pastimes and his name. You see, so devotional, this chanting of Hare Krishna raises you to the platform of uh, devotional service. From that, you come to pure devo loving devotional service. And then from that, you become a pure devotee. You see, now you have become a shelter for everyone. You see. But it starts with that prayer. You know, please engage me in your loving devotional service for sure. And along with that, I'm asking him for the resources to serve it. What resources do we have? He's the source of everything. So what potency do I have? I have the potency to make a decision. I have free will. And I can go any way with that free will that I want. Now that's it. That's, that's the limit of my potency. Potency comes from the potent. God is the source of everything. So I want to serve Krishna. It's understood between us and Krishna that we need the resources to do that. So I may need some intelligence. I need spiritual intelligence. So that means I need people who have some spiritual intelligence. And they may uh, have some Shastra. And they know that and they're giving me, interpreting the Shastra. See, so I'm asking for resources. I want to build a temple for Krishna. That means I'm going to need money. Krishna's going to have to send me money. You see, I want to paint a picture for Krishna. That means I need Krishna to give me the creativity and the and the talent. You see, whatever I can conceive of, He can give you. He gives you what you need. My my dear Lord, I want to be your pure devotee. I want, I want unflinching faith in you. Krishna says, here you go. There's your faith. You can't get it on your own. But since you're asking me for it, here you go. You see. 
So we start to realize that. I, this is, I want to serve you, and I need the resources to serve you in the manner that you want me to serve you. You know, like that. Did you make the soup? Really? She's a heck of a cook. Yeah, you can sign us off if you want. Absolutely. All right. Goodbye out there. Cyber world. Hey, Christian. Oh, Lori, she's a new qualifier. Hey.